You are now listening to The Bannerman, an L.A. Kings podcast. We are one day away from the beginning of the Stanley Cup final, one month away from free agency opening, and one of our favorite times of the year starting, and that's the offseason. How are you tonight, Vardy? I am good, man. I'm excited for these cup finals. I think it's going to be a good one. I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a safe bet, I think. I mean, even... <laughs> Like, even if it's a four-game series, I think it's going to be a damn good four games. But I certainly don't anticipate it being short. No, I don't either. This is – I feel like, you know, in the past years, there's been, like, one team that is a heavy favorite and the other one that, you know, they're just happy to be here. Like, when Tampa beat Dallas, it was, like, good for Dallas. But, you know, you know where this is going or, like, when Nashville made the cup finals or something like that. These are not teams that I don't feel like, and I realize I think Colorado is favored, right? By the betting line. Yes. Am I right on that? Yeah. I think they're minus 190. Okay. Or minus 175, I think. Okay. Do you feel like they're that much better than Tampa? No, I think it's insane. Uh, In fact, as I've said many times, I had a Stanley Cup ticket on Colorado Mm-hmm. And I recently hedged it out. I took Tampa Bay plus 150. <laughs> so, because it is not a slam dunk. You know, if, if, if it was if it was years past, like you said, and I had Tampa against Montreal, I'm not hedging out Tampa go. and betting on Montreal. How could I Montreal. forget the Cinderella that was Montreal in, this, in, in the analogy that I was painting there? <laughs> right. So, uh, no, I think it's, dude, it's as... Colorado's obviously a juggernaut, but come on now. I mean, you're talking about the back-to-back defending champions with a heavy, heavy edge in goaltending experience. Not rest. I think Colorado's swept enough teams that they're plenty rested at this point. But, you know, it's, it's bound to be a long series, in my opinion. And, and I wouldn't have it any other way because – I don't see Colorado bulldozing Tampa and I don't see Tampa, you know, bulldozing Colorado in any way, mm-hmm. shape or form. I think home ice advantage is going to be key, um, which Colorado has, I believe. So mm-hmm. it might come down to that last game. I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. Colorado's coming in with a 12 and two record, I believe. Am I right about that? That is very correct. Yeah. And uh, if they, if they win this series in six games and they match the Kings cup record from 2012 of going yes. 16 and four, yes. but even 12 and two, I mean, is, is just silly that, it, and the way they looked at that 12 and two, uh, they were out for blood. I feel like they were, they were never happy when they won. In fact, they looked downright disappointed when they, when they won the Western conference finals they were they were ready to hit the ice the next day i felt like and just like if the cup final started the next day they would be completely okay with that yeah i agree with you losing does that to you right like swallowing bitter pill after bitter pill gets you to that point where you understand like this isn't a party it's maybe a party for like one night and then mm-hmm. we're back to work the next day and they definitely have had that demeanor throughout um, so I, you know, they're going to be focused as hell, obviously, and they've set it up so 
they've done a great job, but they've set it up so anything other than a cup is a failure for them this season. Mm-hmm. And I think it's when an organization gets to that point, it's a beautiful thing as a fan. Like I remember the four or five years, and I'm stretching a little bit, but I would say between 2012 and 2016, anything other than a cup for the Kings was a failure. Mm. And those are high expectations and chances are you're going to get disappointed a couple of times, but that's where you want to get to. And Tampa's the same way, obviously at this point, I mean, you know, anything outside of a three-peat is, is a failure for them. And it'll be a softer blow, obviously, because, you know, they've gone to the conference finals six times in, what is it? Seven years or eight mm-hmm. years since 2015. Yeah. Um, in that time, they've gone to the cup final. This is their fourth one. So if they lose, I think it's a softer landing for them than if Colorado loses. Yeah, and I think that that record that you just that you talked about, about how often Tampa's gotten there, uh, it's, it's, it's exactly what Colorado was seeing, right? I think McCarr today in the, in the press junket threw out a kind of a nice line where he said that Tampa's looking to to make a dynasty and we're looking to start a legacy and Tampa, I think five, six years ago was where Colorado is now all the talent, all the, all the pipeline, all the potential, but just hadn't, hadn't achieved, you know, hadn't climbed the mountain quite yet. And it's, it's poetic. It's damn near romantic when you think about like what Colorado has to go through. They gotta, they gotta beat the champ to beat a champ, you know? Absolutely. Be the man, you got to beat the man. There it is. There it is. Yeah, it's. I think it sets up, like you said, beautifully. And yeah. it is very, on a smaller scale, It's. It's if Colorado were to win, it would very much be a Oilers beating the Islanders in 1983 vibe, where, mm-hmm. you know, the giant was, the dragon was finally slayed and, and the new team on the rise takes over. Mm-hmm. It has a lot of those vibes to it. Because Colorado, you, you could foresee them being good for so long. With just with Makar, it's just like you can be good for a long time. Yeah. Um, and they haven't painted themselves into a cap hole yet. Yet is the key word. And I think they got their pieces in place, and they could stand to lose even a few guys, which we'll talk about. We're going to get into free agency a little bit. So. Yeah, I mean, I think it's pretty clear. You know, they have a good team on multiple layers, but it's pretty clear who the top the top two and then the next two are in my mind right like as long as you got mckinnon and mccarr you're good and then your next layer you've got your renton and landis cog maybe byram kind of moving his way into that conversation and then everything else is like you can you can fill in the blanks and make it work but right now it's not just filling the blanks random guys they've got Kadri having a career year, although he's out potentially through the rest of this off postseason. Um, uh, courtesy of uh, was it Cassian who did that to him? I forget it who was it was. The lovable Evander. That's King. right. Oh, how could I forget? Oh, and uh, and then you know Sam Gerard, players like that are, are your are your second, third tier guys. You're you're going to be just fine. You're going to be just just fine. Can we talk briefly about how quickly? They took care of the Oilers. Yeah, why not? See, that sounds like a fun time. <laughs> I mean, Let's do it. The, By the way, know, the, yeah. you mentioned it, so I'll just repeat it at the top. Without Kadri and without Gerard. For Correct. 
most of that well i say most of that series it was so short i, I can't even remember when kadri got hurt i want to <laughs> say game two yes or three yeah. maybe was it in edmonton i forget because it wasn't it wasn't there some controversy about him hitting oh yeah um, it, it was game three because kane only got suspended one game and the, that's that, right that was the eliminator so they that's had right, Kat, so right, they had right, right. for half the series right it was early in game three right so just again i it's so impressive and maybe this is a bit skewed by my perspective because the kings took the oilers to seven and they had the oilers certainly had games during that series where they looked impressive but I think, you know, you you play you play that series a hundred times. I think the Kings may have won thirty-five of the hundred times. Mm-hmm. And then that's how I felt anyway. And I thought the Flames would, would, would take care of the Oilers. And in fact the opposite happened, where the Oilers just made the Flames look incredibly pedestrian. And so that shifted my opinion a little bit on Edmonton. I was like, whoa, maybe maybe they're better than we were giving them credit for, but but no, <laughs> Colorado just, just you know, set the record straight there. I'll never go out of my way to defend the Oilers, but I don't think anybody in the West was going to do any better against Colorado. I mean, St. Louis did. You know, St. Louis did have a good series, but I mean, that's about as I think that's about as far. Right. As I saw, I saw any team in the West uh, taking it with Colorado. They were just, I mean, they dismantled Edmonton. They made it look easy. Every time Edmonton, like, came up for air, like a Colorado bully just with their foot just shoved them back down. Right. Anytime there was, like, a glimmer of hope, Mike Smith did something or, I don't know, it, it just – you could tell that there was just no chance. There was just no chance for Edmonton. You could tell from game one because game one was a back and forth, if I remember correctly. Like, yeah, it was a nine, high-scoring six. game. Similar to the Calgary-Edmonton game one. And then game two, it looked like it was going that way. But again, Colorado just, they were like, no, no, no. We mm-hmm. are, no, that's not happening. There was a lot of those moments where where you could tell Colorado was like, all right, enough of this shit. Like, yeah. We're putting these guys away. We're putting these guys away as soon as we can so we could rest up for the final. Like, that's the attitude. Like, sometimes they had lapses in their game and Edmonton got some offense going. But um, I think the most... And that's impressive... bound to happen when you've got, like, sure. Dreisaitl and McDavid, you know? like. But, but I was about to say, I think the most impressive thing is how they played Connor McDavid. Correct. And I think it comes down to... Um, the McCarr Taves pairing and the fact that Kale McCarr can skate with any player in the league, including the best skater in the league. Yeah, that that lasting image that I have in my head is uh, is McDavid trying to go one on one with McCarr, and they're kind of skating side by side, and McCarr just makes that beautiful, just swiping poke check on him. I mean, that is the the footwork, man. I know the dude, stick is great, obviously. Yes, but, yes, hundred like percent. The footwork to close the gap, hundred percent. Especially because he's skating backwards half that time, right? Like he doesn't he doesn't turn yeah. he doesn't turn to skate forward until the very last minute when he knows he's going to make that swipe. That <laughs> and and that's just a snapshot of it because the rest of the stuff isn't as obvious, I would say. But I don't recall McDavid having too many 
opportunities to skate through the neutral zone the way yeah. he did against the Kings and the, the Flames. My God, it was like they rolled out the red carpet for him down the middle, just do whatever you want. He was doing anything he wanted against Calgary. Right. I was stunned at how bad the Flames were. They were horrible <laughs> in every aspect. I am. I was. I am amazed. Jacob Markstrom looked terrible. The Flames looked like they had never played defense in the NHL. And and I think they were top five, if not higher, in uh, goals against. I think they finished near the top of the league. And I it's just completely befuddling what happened to them. But, but yeah, uh, thoroughly impressive. And I think the lasting image for me is Connor McDavid going to the bench in game four. Or it, it was game three, actually, on the empty hitter and just kind of throwing his arms up like – it was a man saying, I cannot do anything else. Right. When my goaltender is coughing up pucks, <laughs> up the boards, game winners, and then empty netters, and just... Yeah. yeah, and the troubling thing is that, like, on the whole, if you look at Mike Smith's stats for the postseason, they're not terrible, but, but he's... that's his whole career. Exactly. Yeah, he, he, you <laughs> took the words right from my mouth. Like, he is, he's, he's one of these dudes that, like, on the macro level, you're like, okay, these numbers don't look bad, but it's it's the timeliness. You know, it's... Uh, Jim Fox, throughout the, throughout the regular season, kept bringing up this example with the Kings and their terrible power play about how they couldn't score goals, you know, on average, but if they could just find that the right time to score those goals. I felt like it was the exact opposite with Mike Smith, right? Where it would just be the absolute worst time for a bonehead play and it would just happen. And again, respectfully to him, Colorado is going to make a lot of people look stupid and it probably wouldn't matter in the end. Maybe it wouldn't be a sweep. Maybe it'd be like a 4-2 series win or something. The thing is Colorado doesn't need anyone's help to make anyone look stupid. Correct. And I felt like Oilers gave them ample opportunity and and yeah. put themselves in a position for Colorado to make them look stupid. Right. Um. Anyway, should be good. I'm not should gonna, be fantastic. I'm not, yeah, I'm not going to dwell on the Oilers too much. I'd be stunned if Mike Smith is back. And, I mean, come on, what are we doing yeah. here? At one point, Koskinen has gone. It's been like Koskinen twelve years. Signed I know, yeah, to... he signed. But I mean, he wasn't the answer either. So that's fine. No, no. I think they, need to, if their priority in the summer is not to attack every available high-end goaltender and just at least make a call and figure out what they want. Yeah. And I don't know what the hell they're doing. Duncan Keith <laughs> needs to retire. Mike Smith, just tell him, buddy, you got to go. Yeah. As long as Darnell Nurse gets his 9.25, I think they'll be okay. Darn, yeah. Well, <laughs> I mean, he was really hurt, obviously. He came out that he's – but I, to me, even – Healthy, I just don't think he's... He's, he's not a 9.25. No. He's, yeah. you're, by paying him that, you're calling him one of the top five or ten defensemen in the NHL. Well, by paying him that, you're taking away from the money that you should be paying a goaltender. Sure. For, and that's the, for that's, a much that's, bigger that's difference. That's their problem. But, yeah. but I think the league-wide message is like, this guy's yeah. one of the best number one defensemen in the NHL. And that, that, come on. <laughs> no. There are probably some number two defensemen that are better than him right now. Devin Taves. <laughs> There you go. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm excited. Will predictions? I, I know we did our <laughs> long form predictions, and I think we both predicted. Colorado. We both had Colorado in the West. 
Uh, I can't remember if we both settled on Florida coming out of the east. That's so true. Maybe we might have had Florida on the cup. Maybe, maybe we had the state correct. We just had the, <laughs> the wrong team. That's right. Um, I man, I it's it's really tough. It really. I think it's going to go seven. I really do. Isn't it great? I think it's going to go seven, and I think Colorado. Vasilevsky is going to be the difference here, man. Sure. If if yeah. he keeps up the ridiculous play that he's been making in the the really really must win games, I think I saw like some ridiculous number that in in series closeout games his his save percentage is point nine nine five. That's correct. You know what his goal that, against is? Like, isn't it point point two eight? <laughs> Think about how many games he's played. <laughs> uh, one of the guys I coach with, uh, we were on the ice during like a scrimmage and he pulled out his phone and I hadn't, I hadn't seen those numbers like that. And I just remember I literally looked at his save percentage and I almost like had to look away <laughs> because it was just so jarring and disgusting how someone can have a 0.99 whatever save percentage in, I mean, in, you, in you, such high pressure games think i mean just think about the number of series right like you're talking eight just to you're talking 12 of them just to make it to to this level right or 11 of them to make it to this yeah. level just over the last three years that's not even including everything he played in the prior playoffs before before they started winning cups so it, it, that's wild numbers yes yeah. <laughs> certainly the team has a lot to do with it but yeah, no, it does, one hundred percent. And but there's been goalies on good teams that have not put up those numbers. Just, yeah, just saying. Yeah, um, Darcy Camper looks like he's gonna be okay to go game one. They haven't yeah. announced the goalie, but he's fully healthy. Braden Points looks like he's gonna go game one, which is terrific news for Colorado. Just, just bring them all out, man. Um, but yeah, I'm gonna say I'm just gonna say Colorado. Seven, six, how many games? Yeah, six or seven. Okay. Seven seems like it's it's the most likely most likely conclusion to this thing. And all right. I expect all of them to be beautiful. I like Colorado in seven. Deep down I want Colorado in seven. But uh I wouldn't be disappointed to see Tampa in seven. Because that would just be such no, an that's amazing cool in a different sight. way. And, yeah. and and it's one of those things where you know Colorado will be back there. Oh, hundred percent. 100%. <laughs> Famous last words, but I mean, yeah. I, I think, you know. Yeah, I think you pointed this out, right? Like in the midst of all these amazing runs Tampa had, they randomly missed the playoffs <laughs> one year. Yeah, 2017, they just decided, nah. But they, they missed the last wild card spot on a tiebreaker. Mm. And um, I, I'm not, I don't know who was injured or what the case was. I'm sure there was something. But yeah, they randomly missed it and, and, uh, Drafted Calfoot. Yeah. Oh well. Yeah, I think. The, you know, Can I point out that that's that's the, the one other thing that I really love is that both of these teams are built so heavily through their own drafting, mm -hmm. and um, you know, yes, a lot of their picks were high level picks. Uh, Stamkos for for Tampa, obviously McKinnon, McCarr, those guys for Colorado, Landis Cog, but. Tampa in particular, with guys like Kucherov, 
Vasilevsky was, I believe, a, a high second round pick. Um, a point, obviously, third round pick. Like these are these are not these are not like top of the line. If you don't get them, no one else will kind of situation. So it's it's such a credit to them and the depth of their drafting that they've been able to kind of keep this going. But at the same time, they've been able to make some choice trades here, getting guys like McDonough. Oh, obviously Hedman for Tampa, another yeah, high level sure. pick, right? So it's it's this beautiful balance that you like to see of like picking out your high picks that you know are are your guys that are going to carry you. And then assembling the supporting cast with trades and being able to honestly be okay with giving up certain guys. Like Tampa gave up on Drouin. You you, you forget that Jonathan Drouin was like a third overall or second overall pick for them, I think. And they traded him, I think, in his second season, like in his second full season when they knew that like this is not going to be the guy. And so I think it takes... they got Sergachev. Correct. Who's key for them. So that's another... You could throw that in the built through the draft pile too. You took a prospect and 100%. flipped them for another one. So Right. And Colorado, similarly, you know, they they got uh, Kadri for Kerfoot. You know, it's they got um, Devin Taves for Devon Taves for, for two second round picks, which is still highway robbery. But I, I love to see that. I love to see these teams being able to take their draft position, draft the right guy, build around them and not be afraid to move certain younger players when you know that they're not necessarily going to be your, your, you know, your, your keystone kind of players, so to speak. Yeah. Uh, Tampa lost their entire third line last off season, by the way. Yep. There you go. And didn't miss a beat. Great acquisitions in like um, Nick Paul. Mm-hmm. Has played well for them. Corey Perry was a, a smart pickup. He just kind of fit right in with that team, right? Right. Um, they just find a way, man. They just find a way just because their core is so sound and now so experienced. Adding a guy like Pat Maroon, even though they, they added him before um, their the cup runs. Cup. Yeah, it just key guys like that, like glue guys, important guys, just, They've done an absolutely terrific job. Uh, so it's good to see teams like that rewarded. It's good to see Colorado rewarded right? For the, for the same reasons, really. Yeah, because ultimately that's what you're hoping that the Kings are going to do. And right? that's what like, really every team at, at the end of the day, I shouldn't say every, but most teams, like that's kind of how it has to go. Mm-hmm. You know, you built, it's not a f- perfect formula, but most of the time you're going to have to build through the draft, mm-hmm. make difficult decisions, lose players after you're successful and then find ways to fill those holes to keep that success going to the best of your ability. So, yeah. So we're excited for the cup final. Do you like the new uh, patches? I don't know if I've seen them. Oh, let me take a quick look. Yeah, take a quick look. Um, I think aesthetics had it up. Chris Creamer, sportslogos.net had it up. Okay. Essentially that skinnier logo. Skinnier logo. That's been on the backdrops. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do like that. I do. I think it's sleeker. Yeah, it's clean. Yeah. Yeah, I think I, I'm always a fan of them kind of gradually transitioning. This is certainly a more drastic transition, but I mean, it's been basically the same logo since 
2009. Yeah, with some mild color changes and and shield position changes. Yeah, the one before um, that was not good. Remember with the blue in there? Yeah, that's the one I'm looking at right now. And then the one briefly in 05, 06, 06, 07, they oh had the, God, the, worst the red and blue ones. Yeah, the worst one by far. Yeah, they, they changed that pretty quickly. And then before that, you have the classic. Yeah. The classic one. By the way, 92, 93, the only one that was like a... Well, you just mentioned the 05, 06 one-off. Mm-hmm. 92, 93 was a one-off too for the... With the centennial? Yeah. Centennial, the ribbons were kind of pointing outwards mm-hmm, versus mm-hmm. like curling in. Right, and it had the dates on there, 1893 yeah, exactly. to 1993. And that's why the, yeah, that's why the ribbons were out. So pretty cool little Kings jersey fun fact. Kings nice. and the Canadians, only ones. Yeah, I Yeah, I mean, I think, I think they're okay. Uh, I, would, I, I think I would like to see a little more flourish to the patch logo which I'm sure will evolve a little bit. I don't mind the skinniness of it. I think it could just, it looks a little plain. I don't know if it, it's going to last the test of time, personally. Yeah, I do like it, yeah. though. I mean, the NBA ones, like, they're in the back of the jersey. and Yeah. I used to love the little NBA, like, the uh, Larry O'Brien being right on top of the logo mm-hmm. on the jersey, on the front. Now it's, like, mm-hmm. in the back above the nameplate mm-hmm. not, not a big fan although I, I did like that the nba went back to the old finals mm-hmm. logo i mean they um which is the little they the... modernized it but now with that beautiful cursive where it says finals like how it used to yeah glad they kind of went back to that the years the last few years the logo has been brutal plain nothing special whatsoever so yeah so Aside from the cup finals, lots going on around the NHL, uh, coaching-wise. Coaching-wise. Some pretty big-name coaches fired. We mentioned, I think, DeBoer last episode. Yes. Couldn't have happened to a nicer guy. Yes. uh, Well-documented on the Bannerman podcast. (laughs) We are not in the Pete DeBoer fan club. But since then, I think the most surprising one, obviously, is Barry Trotz. Yeah. Uh, Lou Lamarillo, clearly off his meds on this one, <laughs> firing Barry Trotz. Uh, by all me, in, all indications, he was beloved. <laughs> yeah, by the fans in New York. I'm not so sure about the team because there's some reports that not everyone's been thrilled with him. Yeah, uh, but surprising to us certainly. Uh, I think it's just surprising just because like he's he's such a well-respected long-tenured coach coming off of the cup victory with with washington came to the island got them to the conference finals twice i think back to back I believe. right right and then a rough year this year certainly but a rough year because of so many factors exactly for that team. exactly i mean they were ravaged by COVID for for like two months you know um I think they hired his assistant, Lane Lambert, or Lane Lambert. Was, I, I, I don't know if it's a Lambert or Lambert. I apologize. Uh, so it is, it is definitely interesting. And uh, 
for for Boston, similar situation, mm-hmm. right? Like with Bruce Cassidy and how successful they had been with him, but never really breaking through, getting to the next level, and similar rumors of his personality rubbing key players the wrong way, including uh, David Krejci, who famously did not play for Boston this year, went back to Czech Republic, uh, or Czechia, uh, as we're calling it now, trying to trying to keep up with things. Um, and then rumors that uh, Patrice Bergeron, of all people, not really you know, feeling, feeling <laughs> the Bruce Cassidy vibes. <laughs> yeah, that one. Again, it's tough to even speak about trots and likewise Cassidy, because there's just stuff we're never going to know internally what's going on, what's going on in those rooms, mm-hmm. what's going on in the locker rooms. But this guy took them to the cup final in what 2019 they were one win away i think that was a game seven if i remember correctly in in boston and they've been a perennial cup contender and that's not an exaggeration i think this year was maybe the first season where people were like uh i don't know about boston going on a deep run yeah i mean six seasons made the playoffs every year record of 245 108 and 46. is that good it's not not shabby. Is 140 games above one, 500 good. So yeah, surprising and maybe less surprising is that the vultures in Vegas snatched up his carcass immediately. Right. He is now the coach of the Vegas Golden Knights. Um, hired. What was it today or yesterday? Can't remember. But it, I think it was today. Yeah. Uh, yesterday. By the time you're listening to this. Yeah. So he didn't, and it was funny, you know, in his, like, the day after he got fired, in his press conference, he's like, yeah, teams have already caught, like, a bunch of teams already talked to me. And I was like, yeah, there you go. Yeah. And I'm guessing Vegas was, like, one of the first ones. And they got Yeah, they don't, they got they don't sleep on that stuff, do they? <laughs> no, and it's a good hire, man. I mean, how can you call it anything but? Like, yeah, it's it's definitely not. I, I can't imagine they didn't talk to Trotz as well. Uh, yeah, who knows? there's been a lot of conversation that Trotz is not interested in coaching right away and is maybe eyeing a managerial role mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. moving forward. Um, wouldn't surprise me because now you're, you're hearing rumors out of Philly that John Tortorella is going to be their next coach. Right. And if those two guys are getting hired before Trotz, then maybe there's – fire to that smoke you know what i mean that maybe he's he's taking his time and trying to figure out what he wants to do next yeah yeah um and then rick bonus uh his contract ran out in dallas and he kind of stepped away i'm guessing that was a mutual parting of ways um detroit still has an opening uh so now dallas has an opening winnipeg still has an opening I mean, there's, there's a lot of empty spots, Boston, obviously. So there's, there's going to be no shortage of people contacting Barry Trotz and who knows what level of managerial control or whatever they might be willing to give him. Um, certainly not hurting for money so he can take his time and pick a situation that matters that that works out for him. And, uh, you know, as much as I'm not personally a fan of Pete DeBoer, I would not be shocked one bit 
if he ends up in one of those openings. Yeah, there's too many openings and not enough coaches, it seems. Although, yeah. you know, the revolving door of coaches in the NHL will probably never <laughs> stop. Right. Uh, but, yeah, it wouldn't surprise me either. But then you have guys like, you know, Jay Woodcroft taking over in Edmonton and doing well, and Marty St. Louis kind of taking over as interim coach in Montreal, and now they're bringing him and making him stick around for a little bit. So I, I don't think it's – and Detroit, Iserman pretty much said that he was, he was going to be looking up and down, left and right, new and old. So, you know, I – but I agree. When there's this many openings, there's, there's definitely going to be some level of recycling. recycling. Yeah. Um, yeah. Such is the case in the NHL. Um, yep. The Kings aren't looking for a head coach. No. And, you know, I, I half jokingly kind of said this, that like, look, none of, none of these guys make me, I think of all these coaches available, Trotz would be the only one that I think if I had the option, I would be like, yes, take over this team from McClellan. Yeah. Because I don't necessarily think that, Cassidy, yes, he's got a great record with Boston, but Boston is a very, very different team and a different makeup than what the Kings are. And I don't think I've seen enough in terms of long-term championship level success from Cassidy to be like, oh, he's going to do a much better job than McClellan, per se. Um, We forget that McClellan had some really, really terrific seasons with, with San Jose. Um, do I agree with all the decisions? Certainly not, but I also think that he's a little bit limited in terms of who the personnel is that he has to work with most nights. Yeah, he certainly has been with the Kings, that's for sure. Other things around the Kings have been happening. Yeah. Uh, and there are some things that we're <laughs> the team's going to have to figure out. So we're going to talk about the offseason a little bit. I'm sure we'll do a much more thorough, deeper analysis as we get closer to free agency and things like that uh, but at the top of the list the to-do list is the contract of adrian campe coming off his best season as a pro 35 goals first line winger all-star appearance um he's indicated he'd like to come back no surprise there rob league has indicated that it is his number one priority to get adrian campe signed to a longish contract i would say mm-hmm. and Everything we've read, everything we've heard, everything points to perhaps like a five-year deal, six-year deal, something along those lines. Don't think it's going to be the eight-year one. Could I mean, it could, I suppose, could. but yeah. all prognostications point to something in the neighborhood of five to six years. The cap hit has also kind of been bandied about. There's been articles in The Athletic uh, suggesting that five and a half to six million is probably his landing spot. And if before all that came out, if anyone asked me, I would have said probably six, mm-hmm. maybe six and a half, just because it's a 35 goal season and the Kings desperately need to keep this player. Um, but six sounds about right to me. Six years, or excuse me, uh, six million at five years is probably a common guess all across king's twitter and stuff like that so and that's kind of where i'm at too yeah i think that's reasonable i think again i kind of go back to to tampa's salary structure maybe not last year but the first year that they won the cup i remember distinctly looking at their salaries and it was just 
it was like 10 guys making, <laughs> making somewhere between four and 6 million. You know what I mean? And I think, I think that's the ideal setup for a team. And right now the Kings are kind of taking form like that. You know, you got I follow making 4 million for another three years. You got Deneau making 5.5 for another five years. You got Arvidsson at 4.25 for another couple of years. So I think if you can lock in Kempe for somewhere between that five to six million number and how many years might, might change that number. Right. So, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be shocked if they go like seven years, 5 million with some level of non-trade protection in there towards the latter years or something. Sure. That, that wouldn't, that wouldn't surprise me one bit. Um, he's 25. So seven years takes you right up to that 31, 32 year season, which that's kind of where you're starting to see the drop off for a lot of these wingers. Um, so I think there's definitely some benefit to both sides locking things down for that level, right? Um, there's something the potential for him to want to gamble on himself or something like that, maybe sign a shorter term deal, but that doesn't sound to be the case. That's, that seems like both sides want something more than three or four years. With how he's been elevated in the lineup, how mm-hmm. he's being trusted more and more in every situation. He's on PP1, he's he's getting PK time, he's getting top minutes. I think that means something to him too. And I think it's, you know, his growth here, the patience the organization has shown with him. I think it's mutually beneficial, obviously, to get a contract that long, locks him in as long as possible. That works for both sides. Yeah, and I think he said as much in his uh, end of season pressers, and that he was, you know, he was hoping he would get to this level sooner than he did, but mm, yeah, but he he likes the game, the way he's playing his game right now. You know, he he feels like he's doing more, he's involved more, he's doing more away from the puck, which clearly the results indicate, and clearly he's earned the trust of the coaching staff being in the position that he's in, getting the minutes that he's getting, um, scoring important goals in important times. Um, I, I have no problem with rewarding players like that, especially if you're the one who's developed them and brought them up and, and made them the kind of player that you want them to be. Those are the guys I think you, you pay to keep them around personally. Right. And especially if it's a reasonable number, which I completely expect 100%. to be. So. Huh. I think if he, if he were open market, he'd get 7 million from someone, someone no, no problem for sure after a 35 goal year oh yeah um other orders of business for the kings they have a lot of rfas tons um leah sanderson carl gunstrom brendan lemieux gabe velarde mikey anderson sean Dersey are the prominent ones mm-hmm. i'm not really going to get into jacob Moverary or we covered Kempe, but um, we'll start with Grunstrom. I think it's a no-brainer. Yeah, I think similar vibes. You yeah. know, some some advancement gradually through the season. Certainly, a little bit of a coming out in the postseason. I, um, what was he making before? I'm, I think it was just a shade over a million, maybe not, not even nine point two five or point nine two five. I should say, no, even less than that. Oh my God, they. So he was getting that his entry level contract was nine hundred twenty five, 
and then somehow they succeeded in signing him for less right, for two seasons. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. right. So I think if they gave him even one point five, oh yeah, I think that's for three years or something. I think that's a pretty. I think he signs that. I don't. Pr- I don't think he, this is a qualifying offer situation. Yeah. I think they'll give him a substantial bump there. I think. I think Velarde's probably going to be a qualifying offer situation. Mm-hmm. I, I I guess off the top of my head, if I had to figure, I would say Grundstrom is a lock coming back with a raise. Lemieux is a lock coming back for, let's see, his last contract was 1.55. So, I don't know, maybe somewhere around there. Probably. Two, two million, maybe. Um, so, those two, somewhere 1.5, 2 million there. Gabe, I think probably right around where his entry level contract was, maybe a t- two year or something like that. Maybe the same for, for Leah Sanderson if they decide to bring him back, which I don't see why they wouldn't. He's an RFA, he's 23. Um, and then getting into your defenseman, I think this is where you're going to maybe pay a little bit more with Mikey Anderson and Jersey. I think Jersey is, you know, both guys took some pretty, pretty big steps. Jersey was making 925. I I would be shocked if he's not making, you know, 2 million or north of 2 million for the upcoming season, maybe for a two or three year deal. Agreed. And uh, Mikey's probably going to get the same contract that Roy and who was it? Walker were in the three-ish. They're in the threes. I think Mikey gets that. Yeah, I think I think Mikey is a more critical player. Um, no disrespect to what Jersey accomplished this season, but I think I think we have a couple guys who can do what Jersey does. I I think. Pardon the alliteration. Yeah, <laughs> I think what it comes down to is Anderson is a lock to be part of this team for. A longer time i think jersey there are still a lot of questions maybe right. more questions than answers he might be in a trade sooner than you think you just don't know just because of the um very deep pool of right-handed defensemen that are just waiting to play right for the kings jordan spence you know he's still there right you know, he, he, who's to say he doesn't make the team if if there is a trade brand clark. clark who people are projecting to make the roster there's a lot and there's a ton of other players coming. So it's not yeah. as, as much a lock. Whereas you look at the left side, man, you need Mikey Anderson. You right. need him. Drew Doughty has made him essentially. Untradeable. Uh, untradeable. Yeah. yeah. He's just come out and straight up said, I want to play with Mike Anderson. When you hear that, he's getting 3 million probably right. for three, four years, maybe longer. Yeah, that's fine. What, what he takes, Drew's, but... Drew's got five years left on his contract. Maybe <laughs> there you just go, give him five the five years. years. Just give, him, give him the five years. Let's get this going. Yeah. I think the the interesting kind of part on the defense is going to be the three UFAs yeah. to me. Because I think, I don't know, I've been thinking about this and, and like three years ago, I would have said, let all of them walk. <laughs> really, like... Edler is how old? 36. Cool. He's 36. Uh, then you have Olimata, who I've never, I've never been a huge fan of, right? Uh, I think Stetcher's was a rental straight away. 
Yeah, I, and I Stitcher's just, a right D. So yeah, so really, it comes down to: Do you sign one of these veterans? I'm calling Mud a veteran because I feel like he's been in the league since 1998. Yes, 100. percent um, Do you let them both walk? I think I'm leaning towards you bring back Mata. Mm-hmm. Just because he's younger, he's a plug-and-play kind of player. He's not perfect, but I think in a pickle, you could just kind of throw him in there and, and he, he'd do fine. I think they re-signed Mata. I think Edler is gone. These are, this is all just speculation. Just to Sure. Yeah, and, and then obviously there's a lot of talk about there's help coming from the outside or people projecting that someone's going to come from the outside to help this team on defense. Mm-hmm. And it's, mm-hmm. you know, after Kempe probably right there in, in terms of importance, mm-hmm. along with left wing one, which we'll get into. But yeah, I don't know what the Kings D is going to look like next year because it is such a, if this happens, this will happen mm-hmm. kind of situation. If Brand Clark makes the team, or if, you know, the Kings have already decided that, hey, he's going to play, we want him in the lineup, then that kind of throw, <laughs> throws a lot of things out of, out of whack for the Kings. At that point, if Brand Clark's in the minds of um, management a lock to make this team and, and they feel like they want to put him in, I think there's a trade for Sean Dersey coming. And, yeah, I, I don't think any of that would shock me. For for all the same reasons that because you mentioned, he has the highest value, right? Right, hundred percent. Right now, his value is—I can't say higher than it's ever going to be because I don't know that. Mm-hmm. But certainly, right now, he's a price player after after it's, what it's happened. It's the highest the it's ever been. Absolutely, say. highest it's ever been. That's not even yeah. a question. But I mean, it's it's higher than what it really should be right now. Yes, probably because because of how he was forcibly put on display exactly right? like playing 24 minutes a exactly. night and a lot of buzz around the league sean dersey sean dersey yeah the king's yeah. number one defenseman so to speak ostensibly you know? yeah yeah so there's an opportunity there if you know if you're going to go after a left wing one or that top four left d you know spence can play yeah and if you know clark is either this year or he's coming soon because Clark can't play. It's either NHL or juniors. Right. For Brand Clark. Right. Is he 20 now? Is that why? Is he 20 years old? I have to look it up. I know he's not, he's not AHL eligible. I know that. Okay. So. Yeah. He's 19. Yeah. So he'd go straight, straight pro. Yeah. He doesn't turn 20 until February. Mm -hmm. So he's, he's like a black ace candidate. Yeah. So it all depends on what they're thinking. It, it's it's tricky. Yeah. The Kings aren't one have never been a team to rush someone and throw them in there. I mean, Quentin Byfield, but those were really special circumstances. And well, even him, man. I mean, they played. You know, they had the ability to play him in the AHL for a full season and a half. You know, that that's that's. I think if not if not given that opportunity. We we would see nine games of Quentin Byfield, and then he'd be back down to back down to to juniors. Right, and those are the circumstances I, I was talking about. Oh, I see. Okay. Um, before that, the only person I could think of is Drew Doughty. Yep. And even solid. that was kind of like they were forced. You know, they they really 
did not have a good team. <laughs> right, right. I I think it, they figured it would it would do more good than harm. Mm-hmm. I suppose. Mm-hmm. But he's he's an exceptional player. Like you can't is Brand Clark to that level where he's such an exceptional talent where you're like he'll be fine. He'll figure yeah. it out. I don't know. They know that. I really don't know. Yeah, so, and I mean so you're hoping for a healthy. Parts. You're hoping for a healthy Sean Walker. You're you know like. Again, I, yeah, yeah. I don't know. This is, this See, is that's not a another unique, one. This is not a unique point. I've heard plenty of people point this out, but like Mikey Anderson, Matt Roy, Drew Doughty, Sean Walker. You've already got four of your seven defense locked in there. Then you had Jersey, who's playing twenty plus minutes a night. You had Spence, who played well enough. You had Bjornfoot, who played NHL games until he was basically scratched for the last 10 or so. Um, and he can start in the AHL, by the way. Yeah. So I, I just think that it's the need to go, go after like a big name defenseman or something. is just not there at all. I think if you do bring someone back, it's on that Olimata level of veteran stability. And I think if you're already talking about third pairing defensemen, then you might as well go with the one you have who, you know, did pretty decent the last half of the season was not quite as much of a pile on as we were traditionally (laughs) used to making fun of him for being. So. Yeah. I think it's, it just comes down to, will they make a Chikrin esque move? I just don't see it anymore. I really don't. I think they waited to the point where they convinced themselves and us that it wasn't really it's not necessary any longer i disagree with that man uh, do you I, yeah i think who's who who plays sick like you can't put Oli modest on the left side on the second pair no i don't think so but can you put bjornfoot there <sighs> i just don't i just i don't know maybe they go safe in ufa i don't even know who's available there's not much. I mean, unless they're going to go after like Brent Kulak or something like that, who Edmonton seems very, very happy with and wants to keep. Yeah, I just, I would be surprised, man, because if or you're like gonna, Nick Letty, because if you're gonna, you're gonna let Edler go, man, that's a young defense, and you're gonna bring in a 19 year old, let's say hypothetically, yeah. into that defense. That's that has just very little experience there. The Edler, for better or worse, at least stabilized yeah. the defense somewhat. You get rid of him, and now, I don't know. I think they got to get – there's – I think someone's got to be brought in at some level. I'm not saying go go get Chikrin. I don't even know what the hell the availability situation is. But I think if he is available, Sean Dursey is a very – Good it's a good piece to dangle. Starting point. No question. Yeah. And build around. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I agree. So I don't know. We'll see. But but then again, there's like so many names of other players that I think if you're going to start using names like Jersey and Velarde to kind of dangle out there, I mean, there's there's rumors of like the Brinkat and and but, Pasternak but you have being enough available. To do, I think you have enough to do both. Maybe maybe the level of player of one of them has to drop. Do you have the cap space for all of that though? Now you're talking. Well, if you're going to Brinkat, you can't do Chikrin. Yeah. I don't think because he has the Brinkat 
has one more year at a very manageable number and after Correct. that you're fucked you're <laughs> but that but that's okay though because because after this year quick's contract comes yes. off too and then yes. things get a bit right, more right, flexible right, right. right so if you're gonna do both it's gonna have to be a situation like that where it's a player with like one more year yeah at like a nice cap it like pasternak whose yeah. name is like floating around right now see yeah, that, that one i don't believe man. i don't believe that, that, that's that's come I on i don't believe it either boston they're Oh, it's an over my dead body kind of situation. That's right. Chicago's different. They're blowing the shit up. Like that's a different story. Yeah. And the Brinkett is in this weird age group where, like, well, I'm not a veteran, but I'm not a you know a young up and coming guy either. And if this is going to be a rebuild, I'm essentially going to waste five years of my prime here. Yeah. And also, to me, to me, the Brinkett is not to that level of Pasternak. Like Pasternak is a is a is a core keystone. Like you build a team around this guy. The Brinkett is like, yeah, 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 you're good, but like Patty Kane still runs the show here until until he decides. I'll tell it. you, they're not as different as you think, my friend. Because <laughs> you'd be shocked at how many assists Brad first assists Brad Marchand has provided for David Pasternak. You'd be Interesting. surprised. But also he has Bergeron in the middle too. So that's like, you know, if it's not him, it's him. I'm not worried about that too much. I'm more with uh, Pasternak, I should say. I am more worried with the Brugnette. I will give you that because Kane has just, I watched when the, when rumors came about that the Brinkett was available, I literally sat down and watched the last 50 goals this guy has scored. Mm -hmm. And it is stunning how many of his goals are direct result of something amazing Patrick Kane did <laughs> not pedestrian not just you know found just amazing right amazing pass like amazing look thread the needle tap-ins um so that's slightly concerning but dude give me a guy who could finish like I'll yeah. take that too yeah I'm not gonna knock the guy because an elite passer gave him good looks and he freaking buried it like, right there's the Kings have plenty of guys who would have put that right in the logo I'll tell you, know? you he, he looked beautiful. He would look great as the trigger man on the left side of the power play on his off wing. Like, just one tease all day. Just give it right. to him. He's going to score, dude. He's a scorer. His shot placement is outstanding. Like, he is a true elite goal scorer. I truly believe that. Maybe he's a hair below Pasternak, but he's not that yeah. far off. He's yeah. not. So... I'd be happy with that. I, I wouldn't be disappointed. Twenty-four in years old? You kidding? Please me? don't. Please don't misunderstand me. That I would not be disappointed in Pasternak. I would not be disappointed in Brinkett. I wouldn't be disappointed in Chikrin. I like any of these moves that are not made for some ridiculous thing, right? Like, and the Kings have enough of these secondary pieces. These 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 guys who have value, but the team themselves right now cannot bring out that value they, they can't allow them to play or they can't necessarily put them in a position to succeed at this point in my opinion we've talked about how velarde is kind of falling into that category a little bit um Dursey, again Dursey was able to show what he had because literally everyone else was <laughs> was was hurt but if they're all healthy Dursey doesn't get 24 minutes a night like there's there's no way so I'm 
I'm ready for whatever the offseason brings, but I'm also ready for the offseason bringing absolutely nothing because that's just... That would be a major disappointment, man. Um, just You cannot in this division not get better. That much I agree with. Like, I think if you that's... rest on your laurels, if you go, we did great and experience alone will keep us going, I think they're going to be... They're going to be outside on the outside looking in next season if they if and they maybe, do nothing. And maybe that's okay. I don't know. I don't mind it. Don't but, get me wrong. No, I, I mean I, missing the playoffs is yeah, okay. I agree. I agree. Um, because in the grand scheme of things, it's not time yet, I guess. But if the team internally oh. is thinking, okay, we got to build on this, you can't yeah. come back with the same roster and tell yeah. Quentin Byfield and Arthur Kelly, all right, guys, it's time for 15 and 20 goals each. Let's go. Right. Like, here's the thing. Here's the thing. There's no more Dustin Brown. Okay. One more season. I, I sincerely don't think there's going to be Jonathan Quick. One more season after that, there's no Ajay Kopitar, or at least not to the level that you have him now. So you're, you're losing runway here if you're planning on doing something for these guys or with these guys. And if that's not going to be the case, then accept the suck that for the next couple of years because if you're looking at this and going are we good enough to beat colorado are we good enough to beat a healthy vegas team are we good enough to beat calgary if they play the way that they played and that's the echelon that's the hurdle that we're going to have to get over to to compete again your team's not good enough to do that no you got vancouver with Bruce the whole season? Yeah. You don't know what's going to happen there. Yeah. You're, you're not good enough. And so you either have to decide that you're going to do something now or you have to commit to the idea that we're going to do something once Quick and Kopitar are gone and essentially kind of extend the rebuild for another two or three seasons, which has its problems potentially. So I think that I think that's what they have to kind of decide is do we make another push for this? In which case they have to make some moves or if they decide that they're just, they're not ready for that yet, then they're essentially saying that you might as well get rid of quick, in my opinion, at that point. <laughs> yeah. And goaltending is, a, that's going to be an interesting. I would trade quick in the draft. I'm coming right out and saying it. I, I, I would still trade him at the draft. <sighs> All I know is this. At some point, Cal Peterson has to play more games than Jonathan Quick. I know he had a rough season, statistically speaking, but at some point he needs to get the opportunity that Jonathan Quick got in 2009 where you just give him... I understand that Jonathan Quick was probably better than Cal Peterson. Quick was better then than Peterson is now. I will give you that. Mm-hmm. But we, the Kings can't keep going back to Jonathan Quick until the tires fall off or until he decides he, he's going to retire. Because at that point, Cal Peterson will be, what, 29? Yes. And have played maybe 150 games? If he's lucky. 200 games? At 20, I've said this before. At 27, before the age of 28, Quick had played 310 NHL games. Cal Peterson is 27. He's played 91. And, and that's why 
that's why I'm saying they need to, they need, if they're going to, if they're going to commit to Cal, hell, even if they're not going to commit to Cal, if they're going to commit that Cal is not the goalie, that it's going to be someone else. I think the first move you have to make is you move Jonathan Quick. You don't let him go as a UFA for nothing. You have him right now coming off of a stupendous postseason at the age of 36 with one year left on a deal. And then he's a UFA and he's gone anyway. You trade him now. You commit that it's either going to be Cal's net or he's going to show us that in the first year of this $15 million contract that he got, that he's not the guy. And then you know that and you can plan accordingly. But until you move quick, until you get quick away as an option, as a, as a safety valve for the coaching staff to keep going back to, you're just confusing things. You're deluding yourself and you're not solving a problem and you're wasting an asset because he's gone anyway. He is gone next year. <laughs> no matter what you do, he is gone next year. So why bother? Oh, Unless he comes back at like three million. Come on, man. He's gonna be <laughs> he's gonna be thirty eight years old. We just got ton, done talking about Mike Smith. No, I I'm not disagreeing with you. But what I'm saying is, there may be a I don't know. I'm I'm completely going off the wall speculating, but there may be a handshake kind of deal with Quick. We're like we're we're not trading you till your contract's up. And that's different. And you're retiring I, as a king, like I promise. Whatever. Yeah. That's fine. If that's what it is, that's what it is. I just, I don't know. That's, it's weird. I think it creates some very strange vibes for the other goaltender who you signed to. I agree you with know, you. I've five said million this, a year we, for three years. We talked about this last season. Like at some point, you sign this guy to a five million AAV for three years. Like you have to give him an opportunity and. Some would argue they have, but I would argue they have not. I'm talking about an opportunity where when you drop the ball, right, you have the opportunity to pick it back up versus right. we're going to go to old reliable to clean this mess up. Right. And I don't know what that does to his confidence, but I'm a human being and I, I know what it would do to mine. To me, the problem is that as long as old reliable is always there, it will always be an option. And that's, that's not fair to him. As that's not fair to Peterson, that's not fair to the team, in my opinion, because old reliable is not going to be there after a season or two. Personally, that's what I would do. Uh, listen, last what was it? It was this season at the deadline where I said on the podcast that the Kings should trade Jonathan Quick, and it was not met well. And I get it, like especially coming off the playoffs right now, it, it's the same. It's that old feeling in everyone's mind that Jonathan Quick, mm -hmm. we need him in the playoffs because we mm -hmm. can't do it without him in the playoffs. But to your point, as soon as next season, that's not going to be an option anymore. Correct. Or two years from now, whatever. People forget that he was We're not have great to two seasons it. ago. Yeah, he Peterson Cal, Cal Peterson, him. exactly. They forget that two seasons ago, Cal Peterson looked like he had taken that job and was running with it. That Jonathan Quick was going to be back up forever. And that was it until the end of his contract. 
it can revert to that in no time. The guy is 36, okay? You, you hang your hat on that, you end up in the situation the Oilers are in, in my opinion. Another thing people forget is that in 2010, 2009-10, uh, Jonathan Quick started 72 games. Daryl sure, sure liked the starting goaltenders, didn't he? <laughs> that season, Jonathan Quick had a 2.54 goals against. Right. And a 9.02 save percentage. That was a good team. That was a 100-point team. Kings made the playoffs. They had to play Vancouver. My point is they let him figure it out to a certain extent. It was after that season where the numbers really started to become stronger uh, for Jonathan Quick. And he got that opportunity and he got that leash. The fact that he had a 2.54 GAA, those are not good numbers for his standards as we know that now. Peterson's numbers this year, I think the GA is 2.8. It's not good. Yeah, but, but I, 2.8, 2.89 with okay. an 8.95 safe percentage. Okay, those aren't bad. I get it. But I, I am of the opinion that if he pay, played 72 games this season, mm-hmm. that number comes down significantly. Didn't he have like three shutouts? And it's like... Yep. Yeah, so... That's what we're saying. We're saying you got to give this guy a chance. We're holding on to this, you know, the golden years. One of them went. There's two left. And I realize their time will come and it'll be sad. But we have an investment in a goaltender right now who I think is very good. Who People around the league have commented that he's very good. And it's time for him to get one more start than John than quick next year. That's all I'm asking. Give him <laughs> one more game than you give quick. It's not even just that, man. It's the, I think it's the, the confidence that he can win you a big game, right? Like we were talking about the, the last uh, three games of the regular season in one of our pods. And I think it was like, oh, if they win this, then they're in. You know, it was like one of those not really must win. Where yeah, Peterson could get in a game. Yeah, yeah. And it was like, I think he ended up only playing one of those last three, didn't he? Yeah, back to back. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, and it was just like, come on, man. You know, it was already clear that the Kings were. I guess that's what I'm saying. Like, as a goaltender, I think, as any player, you want to be relied on to that you're going to be able to carry the team, that you're going to be able to get them a win when they need a win. And I think it was abundantly clear throughout this season that he just did not have that, the confidence of the coaching staff in that in those types of situations. And you can argue that some of that was his own making, but at the same time, at some point, even if you are trying to to get yourself up and get yourself amped and focused to to get back to the game that you know how to play, if the coaching staff just never gives you the opportunity, if they make it clear that you know you're going to have to earn your way back into the crease or something like that, it's it's hard. I think it's really really hard. You know. Yeah, he started um, the very last game of the season. Yeah. 
And it was a back-to-back. The Kings had clinched already. Right. Oh, he played only four games in April. His fifth one was in relief for quick against mm-hmm. Colorado. Mm-hmm. We shall see. We shall see. We are basically screaming into the abyss right now. So <laughs> no one's really, no one's taking notes right now. <laughs> just, yeah. just put it no, no one's asking our opinion, but we're just expressing thoughts here. I have a long so, shot candidate for the Kings to go after this summer. Okay. What position? Left wing. UFA or trade? Trade. There have only been murmurs that this player is available. Whispers. <laughs> okay. Not even completely sure if he's available. Okay. You know, when I tell you, you're going to be like, of course, you would want this guy. Tyler Bertuzzi. Oh, God. That's right. I said it. I don't, I don't, yeah, I, I know why you want him. I know what the element is that Listen, he brings. All we heard in the, po- in the uh, exit interviews were a lot of toughness was brought up. Grit, sand, you know, our favorite words basically in mm-hmm, hockey. Mm-hmm. I think this guy fits, checks a lot of boxes for the Kings. I think it won't cost you as much as those high profile players. And I, the problem with him is obviously he's not vaccinated and the mandates in Canada, I'm not sure what the status is there. I don't think that's going to be too much of an issue anymore. That's all evolving pretty uh, quickly. The, well, Canada, though, is the one is are the mandates mm-hmm. I'm talking about. And the Kings mm-hmm. have three Canadian teams in their division. Mm-hmm. So that's a significant amount of games that he could potentially miss, although everything points to the mandates being eased up significantly by the time the season starts. I don't even know what the situation is now, like I said. Um, So that's a roadblock, but yeah, that's my, I would be, if the Kings aren't going for big game hunting, Mm -hmm. I prefer Bertuzzi over a lot of options on the Kings. And I think I would prefer him straight up more than Philip Forsberg at like $10 million. Yeah. I mean, you're who, first of all, I don't even want Philip Forsberg anymore. That's where I'm at. I I think the more I've thought about it, it just feels like it's going to be a bad idea. Mm -hmm. And it feels like in like two seasons, they're going to deeply regret it. That's fair. It's going to be, it's going to be such a monster contract, man. Yeah, that's that's and I would rather give that to a Debrinket or something at Mm -hmm. 25, 26, Mm -hmm. whatever. But again, you have to give up more to get Debrinket on your team in the first place. In theory, yes, but in my opinion, you have to give up more to get Forsberg. Yeah, because you're giving up cap space. Yes, yes, and I think that will hurt you far more. Mm-hmm. than giving up these assets that you have, you're drowning in them for Christ's sake. So just something, just something I'm throwing out there, maybe off the radar. And again, there's, there's no, there's no guarantee that that's even the type of player the Kings are 
trying to go for. I think that kind of goes against the four to five million dollar mid-level free agents or mid-level players that I think that they're trying to fill the team with and then build and bring in their own superstar guys on on uh, reasonable contracts, which is, again, what they're hoping Clark and Byfield would be. It's It's hard to bring in super talented guys like that with big money deals and still be a successful team. I think the Rangers are an interesting exception with Panarin obviously being brought on at like his 10 plus million dollar deal. And but that's the Rangers. That's yeah, yeah. They've been doing that for 25 years. Exactly. They've got, they've got it down to a six science, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So there we have it. Yep. If you, what's your wish list then? Like if, if you were whatever GM, yeah. What are you doing? Tell me what. What you're am doing. I doing? Uh, you signed Kempe. Mm-hmm. Uh, Grunstrom is back. You qual- qualified Velarde or whatever, or you signed Velarde. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um. What are you doing on D? I think if I'm on defense, I'm I'm bringing in a guy who's a who's like a second pairing guy. Like I don't even mind it. Like a like a Nicoletti level player. I honestly don't. I mean, it's like, it's just one of the, you know, like a, like a stopgap kind of guy. Yeah. I don't mind that. I really don't. Um, and I think, I think I certainly look for a forward, a top six forward. Um, I, I like, I like the idea of a Debrinkhead, obviously, if he's, if he's available. Uh, I don't, I'm looking at like the RFAs. Like, I don't think that, like, I don't think there's any chance that Johnny Goudreau is like leaving Calgary as a UFA. I don't, I don't see that. I wouldn't even, he's going to, it's going to be monumental contract anyway. You know, you know who, who interests me a little bit, but he's always kind of on the unhealthy side sometimes is, uh, is Vincent Trocek. Mm. I, I just, I think he's a great player. And he's he's great in the dot, and then you have three guys who are who are tremendous in the faceoff circle. I think that's a great option. Um, I think Burakovsky is a, is a good player. I don't know if he's a top line winger, but I think that's a decent option to look at. And it's not necessarily a top tier UFA, but he is going to make you know a good deal of money. He put up twenty two goals, thirty nine assists this season. Clearly on a on a high octane Colorado offense. Um, I think I look into some stuff like that, you know? So. Yeah, it's hard, man. I, I I would try to avoid free agency, but the problem is, well, there's pros and cons, right? Like you have to convince a free agent to come play for this. Yes, team. yes. You don't have to convince a player to be traded to your team. Um. I think I would try, number one, I would go after the Brinkett. I think that's where I'm at. If Pasternak is truly available, he becomes probably number one. Yeah, but I just yeah, don't, yeah. I don't I buy it. I don't think it. that's the case. I really don't. I, don't I really, really don't. Yeah. So, whereas the Brinkett is like, you know, Frank Saravelli's like, put him number one on his most likely to be traded list. Right. It's pretty significant, I would say coming from a guy who 
pretty good at what he does. So I go, dude, I go all in there. Um, if I can somehow also get Chikrin and not deplete my prospect pool by getting those two players, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I would I would certainly try to do that. The problem is, again, the good thing with Chikrin, he's caused control for like three years at like four and a half. Mm-hmm. He's, that's going to be, that's the one I think. It's going to cost a lot to it's get gonna a guy cost like that, a lot. Though. Exactly. That's the one that's probably going to bankrupt you in terms of yeah. assets. But I'm trying to look at teams that are like in, in cap trouble right now. <laughs> you well, know what I mean? A lot of, a lot of, this name keeps coming up is Sergachev. Just because Tampa's clearly up against it every right. month, it seems. Right. Um, so that's a name that keeps coming up. I don't know what his contract is. I don't know if you have it up, but yeah, I can take a looky. Uh, let's see. He's got just one year left at four point eight, and then he's an RFA. He's only twenty four years old. Yeah. This is the problem. I I feel like they will look at all these options. They will look at all the UFAs. They will circle back and then nothing will happen. This is, it reminds me of that one summer where the Kings ended up signing Mike Camilleri. Remember that? Yep. (laughs) They looked and looked and looked and they said, Oh God, this is tiring. (laughs) What's Mike doing? (laughs) Does anyone have Mike Camilleri? Just shoot him a text. Uh, but yeah, if all if those big game those big name players aren't available, I would try to get Tyler Bertuzzi. I really would. Mm. His name's come up here and there. I would call Detroit and be like, "Hey, is this player available?" Yeah, I I try to make it work. He scores like, on the power play. He scores from in front of the net. His teammates love him, despite the fact that this whole vaccination thing. There's this theory that he's selfish and no one likes him. His team friggin' loves him. Um, he's a good culture guy, mm-hmm. you know, that's what I would do. Those are my three top targets. I'm okay with that. Yeah, yeah. that's fine. I don't think anything's going to happen. No, I think they're all, they're all kind of pie in the sky, really. I mean, if you think 100%. About it, like, it's just fan stuff. So, yeah, you know, that's what we are. So episode 86, it should be easy. This should be very easy for you. Are you telling me there has been an 86? Yes. How am I very missing? recently. How am I missing this? Like this season. <laughs> and last season. Eighty six? Yep. This season mm-hmm. and last season. Correct. Is it Wolanin? Yes, it is. That's okay. it. Good. There you go. Man, you're done. Because <laughs> you can't say this is going to be easy and then I mess it up. That's. I mean, it's. Not, I can. I can say it. It's no good. Okay. There yeah. you go. Christian there you go. Wolanin. I guess it's the Christian Wolanin episode. 
Yay. All right, no, we can't do that. Who's the greatest number 86 in NHL history? I love that game. Let's Let's do it. All right, I can't even think of another 80. I'm trying so hard. Yeah, if you can't think of it, I certainly can't. NHL number 86. Okay, let's see. Let's see. Uh, Let's see. Oh, duh. Oh, it's an obvious one. Hold on. Oh, yeah, hey, there he is. He's good. So stupid. Yeah, he's pretty good. Sorry, Lightning fans who are listening mm. to a King's podcast. We forgot. Nikita uh, Kucherov. Jack Hughes. Jack Hughes. Good 86s these mm-hmm. days. All right. Mm-hmm. They're coming up. Oh, now here's a name I hadn't heard in a long time. Wojtek Wolski. Hey, of Colorado Avalanche fame. Yes, yes. Remember when he was like a prize prospect? Oh, dude. Do I ever? Yeah. Do I ever? He's one of these guys who I have this like random, random portion of my brain that has Pierre Maguire level memory of what random CHL team they played for. (laughs) Oh, nice. Yeah. Do you remember where? (laughs) That's what hockey's missing right now. If you ask me. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) I can be that guy. (laughs) Not nearly with that consistency though. So, can you guess what random CHL team? Wojtek Wolski played for. Dude, I don't know. Kitchener? That's <laughs> uh, good. That's good. No. Uh, London Knights. You're getting closer. Fuck. Um, Mississauga. It, no, I'll tell you. It's, it's actually one of my favorite CHL names because I think it's it's just I'm a fan of alliteration a little okay. bit. Okay. The Brampton Battalion. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I do like yeah. It's great. They're like little army green jerseys with the dude with the beret. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's right. That's right. It's awesome. <laughs> I, I just randomly remember that. I don't know why. I love until, it. Until the day I die, my my kids will be asking me on my deathbed what are, <laughs> my random memories, and I'm gonna be like. Wojtek Wolski, Brampton Battalion. <laughs> My last words. Greatest last words ever. <laughs> Your children will be forever disappointed. Um, All right. That's pretty good. Let's enjoy the cup final, shall we? Uh, thanks, everyone. Thank you for listening. Uh, I think our next one, probably before the draft, no? We'll, we'll look at a couple. I mean, it's, it's hard to project who the Kings are going to take. It's these, you know, mid to later round, first round picks. It's like, it's a bit of a crapshoot. So, um, I don't know. What, what position do you think they'll pick? Goaltender? I would hope so. I'm okay with them taking a goalie. Maybe not in the I don't first know round, if there's but a good at least second round. round. I don't think there is. It's probably not great. But anyway. All right, guys. Thanks for listening. Uh, like, subscribe, keep the Twitter interaction going. Uh, we're pretty much everywhere you can have a podcast these days that's about it we'll be around all summer here and there go Kings go you've been listening to The Bannerman an LA Kings podcast 